behold our God seated on his throne. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Jesus, our desire is to lift up your name today through our songs and our worship and the study of your word. Jesus, we don't want to just be a group of people that plays at church, that just has a, a nice, organized, friendly fellowship, but is, is lacking the spirit of the living God. Lord, that's not our desire. We don't just want to be a nice community of people, Lord. We want to be a place where the spirit of the living God is present. So Holy Spirit, would you lead us, even in what we're going to talk about this morning? Holy Spirit, I need you to lead me. And God, I need you to lead our church, because otherwise we're just spinning our wheels here. We want to live lives of purpose that matter for the kingdom, that matter for eternity. Be with us now, we pray, in your precious name, amen. Maybe seated. Thank you so much, worship team, for that time of praise. There's no one like our God. So we're going to return to Mark's gospel in two weeks, and that's because I really need to take this Sunday and next to reteach something that if you were with us a couple of years ago, and one of the reasons I need to reteach this is, praise God, we have so many new people in our fellowship here in the last two years, but we're going to go back over what I believe to be a very biblical, or I should say the biblical, the biblical model for church government, how the church ought to be led. It's spelled out for us in Scripture. And the reason this is so important to do right now that I need to interrupt the series in Mark is because we're ready to make what I believe to be the most significant change to our Constitution here at Fellowship in our church's history. I'm not trying to over-dramatize that. I'm just saying that what we're about to do as a church is historic in our church's history. It's a big deal. We're not trying to slide anything past you. I want you to have eyes wide open. I want you to see it for what it is. And so in case I forget to say it again later, let me just say there are a couple dozen, I think, copies, print copies of the proposed Constitution sitting out on the table in the hallway. Uh, we will also email that out to you. If we have your email address, you'll get that in an email this week. We want you to read that. We want you to think about it. We want you to pray about it. We want you to look up the scriptures. The pastors, myself and Pastor Ken, as the two existing elders here at Fellowship right now, and the deacons are in full agreement that the Lord is leading us to revise our Constitution so that it aligns with what the scriptures teach about church government. Where God makes something plain... In Scripture, we really shouldn't try to create and do our own thing. And so we are 
changing our Constitution prayerfully so that it's in alignment with the Scriptures. Now, there are two dates that I want you to have on your calendars here for the future on this issue. First of all, Sunday, June 27th. Sunday, June 27th, we will have an informational meeting after the service. This will not be a vote among our membership. This is for anyone to come to, member or non-member, but you may come to this meeting after the service and, and I'll be talking about the specific changes in the Constitution and then you'll, be, you'll have time to ask questions and, and there'll be a Q&A about it. So Sunday, June 27th, make sure you have that down and that you're, you're planning on being here with us that Sunday and staying after for that meeting. Sunday, July 11th then, is our quarterly business meeting, Sunday, July 11th, and that's when we will vote on the proposed constitution. And the four candidates to be lay elders. If you're not familiar with that phrase, it just means volunteer. Four volunteer elders. So we'll vote on those four candidates as well as the new constitution. Those things have to change at the same time. We can't do one without doing the other. And you'll see why when you read the proposed constitution. So that's Sunday, July 11th. That's just for church members. And, and you might say, well, wait, well, wait a minute, Pastor Terry. I, I mean, I, I'm not a member. I come here. I come here faithfully. I'd kind of like to have a voice into that. I've got a great solution for you with that. Join the church. If, if you know, sorry, I don't mean to preach a sermon before my sermon today, but if you know this is the body of believers that you want to be a part of, and you're not planning on going anywhere, then join us. Church membership matters. It gives you a voice into the direction here. And so if that's you and you say, okay, I, yeah, I've been coming here for a year or two years, and I would like to be a part of that conversation, then join the church. And we will help you do that in an efficient, timely manner so you can be a part of that vote on July 11th. I do want to make sure, and I'm going to say this probably most Sundays between now and then, remind you or tell you, in this case, I, I did let the cat out of the bag Wednesday night, but we have four candidates for volunteer elder. I'm going to tell you those names right now so that you can begin to pray about this. The pastors, again, Pastor Ken and myself and the deacons are in full agreement. This was unanimous. The vote was completely unanimous on all four of these men, as well as the changes to the, the Constitution but we're in full agreement uh, that these men should serve as volunteer elders here at Fellowship Baptist. Pastor Woody Nelson, Carl Wabritz, Tim Hines Sr., and Josh Likens. Those are the four men that Pastor Ken and myself proposed to the deacons and that the deacons have affirmed have this call on their lives to be elders here at Fellowship. So, Jot those names down, be praying about that, be praying for them, and be, be praying for our church as we move through this. Okay, Acts chapter 6. I'm going to move kind of quickly through this, but this is really, really important, church. I'm going to do more teaching than preaching today. Probably won't need to yell much today, so that's a, that's a good thing. Um, but a lot of teaching today, but this is all really important content. So we're going to dive into this, our first passage here is uh, Acts chapter 6, 
And what we're really going to focus on today, next Sunday, I'm going to focus on elders and who an elder is, what the call of an elder is, what the role of an elder is, what the qualifications of elders are. This week, we're really going to focus on deacons. What should deacons be? And so that's kind of the, we'll talk a little bit about both, but it'll be mostly centered on deacons this morning. So Acts chapter 6, let's read. This is really where this whole idea of a deacon comes into being. Acts 6, verse 1. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So that's the plan. And then after that, I'm, work with me guys up here. I'm having issues with this. So if you see me doing this, it means to move the slide. Um, verse 5, and what they said pleased the, whole, pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. All right, so what's happening in this passage? In response to an injustice that was happening in the church, there was a, a to put it, I mean, really the simplest way I know how to put it that we'll understand today, there was kind of a, a racial issue going on here or a prejudice based on ethnicity that was happening within the body of Christ. But there's an injustice that's happening. And the apostles, in, in order to fix this problem, in order to respond to this injustice of, of certain widows not being cared for in the church, they begin to reveal and implement God's plan for church government. So as they reveal this, we, and it kind of starts to take shape, we begin to see God's plan for the management of his church. The word of God reveals the plan of God for the administration of his church. The word of God reveals the plan of God for the administration of his church. Again, like I said earlier, we don't need to guess at this. God clearly tells us what his plan is in his word. And so for the next couple of Sundays, that's why I'm going to attempt to unpack this for you. I'm going to have to move quickly, and it's, it's going to be a, an overview, but this is so important. It's so foundational to the changes that we're making right now. It really goes hand-to-hand, hand-in-hand with a very important principle that we find in the New Testament about ministry and our call to ministry. And here's that plan. God calls each of us to ministry, but he does not call us all to the same ministry. Let me make sure you have that. As a matter of fact, hey, repeat after me. You can be involved with the teaching this morning. I'll say the first half and then you repeat it. God calls each of us to ministry. 
but he does not call us all to the same ministry. Wonderfully said. Good job, church. He calls each of us to ministry, but he doesn't call us all to the same ministry. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, make it very clear that if you are a Christian, then you have been called to ministry. If you have been, according to those verses in Ephesians 2, if you have been saved by grace through faith, then you are the workmanship of God. God prepared in advance before the creation of the cosmos. Let this kind of fall on you, the significance of this, the weight of this. Before the creation of the cosmos, God prepared a plan that he had in place for you. The ministries that he wanted you to be a part of. We're all created for good works. But there's a beautiful diversity in these works. We're not all called to do the same things. Some of us are, are called to preach and teach, and, and others are called to serve in other ways. And, and as we go throughout the morning, I'll, I'll kind of unpack more and more examples of that. But this is what we clearly see in Acts chapter 6. As God begins to reveal his plan for the administration of his church, there are two very different ways that are shown here, two very different ways for people to serve in, this church, in his church in, in the context of offices that are created, elder and deacon. We see two primary leadership roles that are created, elders and deacons. Now, neither one are specifically named in Acts chapter 6. That comes later in the New Testament, and we'll dig into some of those passages. But in Acts 6, the apostles are assuming the role of elders in the church, and they appoint other men, if you look at those verses again in Acts 6, they appoint other men as deacons in the church. And in studying the New Testament, we see that though they have different roles and responsibilities, elders and deacons are very different, both elders and deacons are absolutely essential to the well-functioning of the body of Christ. For the body of Christ to fulfill its mission on the earth, the great commission that Jesus gave us to fulfill, both elders and deacons are absolutely essential. Now again, next week we're going to really dig in and look at what is the role of an elder. This morning I just want to examine the office of deacon, and so let's, let's dig into that together. What is a deacon? What is a deacon? What does the word deacon mean? That's probably where we should start. Our English word deacon is taken from the Greek word diakonos. Diakonos uh, means a servant. It means a helper. It means a minister. And, and so the men here chosen in Acts 6 are not actually called deacons in this passage. If, if you look through that, those verses again, you're not going to see them actually called deacon or given the office of deacon, but they are called to a specific role, and that is to be a deacon, to be a servant, to be a helper, to be a minister. Uh, most notably, we see that at the end of verse 2 that's on the screen for you there, where the apostles say to the others, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God 
two, and then they see they say in the Greek diakonein, which is a form of the Greek word diakoneo, which means to serve or to minister. It's not right for us to give up the preaching of the word or prayer in order to serve tables. Now again, that Greek verb diakoneo is a very common New Testament verb. It means to perform obligations or duties, to render assistance, to serve, to minister. It's a verb that's used many times throughout the New Testament. Jesus uses this verb to describe how we serve him. In John chapter 12, verse 26, whoever serves diakoneo, me, is what Jesus is saying in this verse, must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who, and then he says it again, diakoneo, me, the one who serves me. Peter uses this same verb to describe the way in which we as the body of Christ serve each other. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 through 11, he writes, each one should use whatever gift he has received to, and then he uses that verb, diakoneo, to serve others faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. And then Peter writes, if anyone serves, diakoneo, he should do it with the strength that God provides so that, look at the reason why we do this, why we serve each other in the body of Christ. This is so important for all of us, whether or not you're called to be an elder or deacon or not. Look at why we serve each other, so that in all things God might be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. I love what Peter says there. As we serve each other, God is glorified. The body, the church, is built up. It's strengthened. And we all begin to move toward maturity in Christ together, which is the whole goal of what we're doing, by the way. We're not just a social club here. We're not just a place to come hang out on Sunday morning. Our goal is to come together and to love on each other and encourage each other and serve each other, to hear the word being taught, to apply it to our lives, to speak it to each other, to teach it to each other, so that we might grow toward maturity in Christ. Amen? That's why we're here. It's the very mission that we have as a church, and, and, and then prayerfully to reach others, to share the gospel with them, that they might come into relationship with the living God by trusting in what Jesus Christ did for them on the cross to save them, to come into his presence, and, and then to begin to experience abundant life in Christ. The author of Hebrews tells us that God takes note of that type of service. Uh, Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10 says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped, in English, diakoneo in Greek, same word, as you have served, helped, ministered to his people and continued to help them. So coming back to Acts chapter 6, the noun form of this word is used at the end of verse 4. If you, if you look again in Acts 6 and, and look at verse 4, you see the noun form of diakoneo used. And it's right here in Acts 6, 4. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the diakonia, the ministry of the word. Now that's interesting to me. Let me tell you why. 
This word, diakoneo or diakonia, is used both in relationship to very practical service, helping somebody out, fixing someone's roof, um, cleaning someone's house, serving here at the church, setting up tables, working in the kitchen, uh, fixing a toilet here at the church, fill in the blank. And, 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 you know, that was one of the things. Let me park on that for just a quick sec. That was one of the things that I made, made me first. There have been several things since. But one of the first reasons I fell in love with this body of believers is your heart for service. I, I would, would you agree, Pastor Nelson, to that? You're new like me. And, and you know, I mean, not that either one of us is young, but we're new here, right? One of the things that I, I first noticed when I would go to our deacon meetings, not to give these guys big heads, but they'd be planning on how to serve someone. They'd be like, well, you know, this person's got a problem with their home and we're going to go over and we're going to fix their roof. You know, or we're going to go over and build steps in this case. And that would be the case like meeting after meeting. And I thought, this church has got it right. They understand that the purpose of a deacon is to serve in very, very practical ways, to serve the body, to serve needs of the congregation. And I just fell in love with that about this church. So coming back again to verse 4 in Acts chapter 6, we have the diakonia, the ministry of the word, teaching, preaching, Bible studies, sermons, all of that fits into that, right? It's used, though, also in very practical areas of service, fixing someone's roof, taking care of, of another need in a home, serving here in the building, in the church. So look at the, look at the contrast there, though it's not a contrast. I shouldn't say it like that. Look at the complexity of it, the diversity of it. Verse 2, the word is used in the context of serving by distributing food to widows, waiting on tables, cleaning up after a meal. That's verse 2 in chapter 6. Verse 4, it's used the same word, same Greek word, diakoneo, is used in the context of teaching the word of God. Teaching God's word wiping down a table after people eat. In the body of Christ, one is not more important than the other. I love that about what we have been called into together, church. Everything we do to serve God matters. Amen? I love that. It's all the same. I'm serving when I am doing a project on one of our buildings here at the church, when I'm setting up tables and chairs for an event, when I'm working in the kitchen, but I'm also serving when I preach the Word of God, when I teach an adult Bible study or a child Sunday school class. It all matters. It's all important. These are all ways of service. They're all important. So that being the case then, who is a deacon? Who then is a deacon? Well, in one sense, really, anyone who serves is a deacon. We should all be deacons. Think about it. If that's what the word means, if it means to serve, to minister, then nobody gets a free pass on this. 
And so if you've been kind of listening sort of passively up to this moment, thinking, well, I'm not a member here, and I'm not planning on being a deacon anytime soon, so I guess I can kind of half listen, really engage again, because guess what? I'm talking about you too. All of us, all of us who are part of this body, we're all deacons. This applies to every single one of us. But God's word also speaks to the office of deacon. And that expectation is a greater degree of serving. Those who hold the office of deacon ought to consider themselves lead servants. And that's why I titled the message what I did. Deacons are lead servants. servants. And so let's talk about that next. What is the role of a deacon? What is the role of a deacon? I believe that Acts chapter 6 reveals that they have three primary responsibilities. I need to be really quick with these for the sake of time. But first of all, they need to meet specific needs within the church body. They need to enable the elders of the church to fulfill their responsibilities. And they need to bring unity to the church body. So let me unpack each of those quickly. First of all, the role of a deacon is to meet specific needs within the church body. This is their primary role. This is the reason why the office of deacon was created in Acts chapter 6. Spiritual service aimed at meeting very specific needs. In Acts 6, we see that the ministry of the first deacons was developed in response to a very specific need within the church body, caring for widows. And so the role of deacons today is to care for the needs of the body. Second on the screen, the role of a deacon is to enable the elders of the church to fulfill their responsibilities. Again, in Acts 6, the deacons were appointed to care for the widows so that the apostles, the elders of the church, would not have to take time away from preaching and prayer. The ministry of the deacons enables the body, enables the elders within the body to fulfill their role through leading the church in prayer and in teaching. Both of these ministries are absolutely vital, church. Both of them. They're absolutely vital to our health as a body. Third, the role of a deacon is to bring unity to the church body. And and this is what was accomplished in Acts chapter 6. This is what happens as a result of the office of deacon being created. Because these men were chosen to care for the widows, all of a sudden this racial disparity or this ethnic um, uh, prejudice that existed within the body, it went away. Because now these widows that were being neglected are now cared for. And so deacons exist to promote unity within the church. Pastor David Platt writes about this. He writes on this point and he says this, deacons were appointed to squelch the tension and the rising disunity in the church. In scripture, deacons labor to promote unity in the church. They are what we might call shock absorbers in the church. Churches can get so engrossed in catering to every complaint and the primary mission gets lost. If someone is pulling the church away from its mission, that person is not qualified to be a deacon. Pastor Platt here, I think, speaks very well to this idea of creating unity within the body that is really, in many ways, the primary role of the deacons. 
So Pastor Platt also raises an important point in that quote. Can anyone hold that office? Can anyone hold the office of deacon? No. God's word clearly gives us a list of qualifications, a list of characteristics that need to be present in the life of someone for them to be able to be qualified to be a deacon. And so let's look at that. What are the qualifications for deacons? Well, what were the qualifications for the first deacons? Acts chapter 6, verse 3 certainly gets a start. If you're still in Acts 6, look again at verse 3. Here, it's written, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So that's obviously a qualification that's given to us in Scripture. And so there are some questions that I have on the screen for you that should be considered when we're talking about who should be a deacon in a church. Who should serve in this office of deacon? And these are some of the questions we ought to ask about that individual. Does he have a good reputation? Does he have a reputation for being filled with the Spirit, with wisdom? And is he a servant? Does he see service as necessary and as part of what it means to follow Christ? And is he happy to accept small tasks? And if the answer to these questions is yes, and this is probably a man who is qualified to be a deacon. The, the af, after all, this is the example that Jesus set for us, right? Servant leadership. This is what Christ modeled for us to follow those of us who are following after Jesus. Uh, think about Mark chapter 10, verse 45, where Jesus says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So from Acts 6, we see some of the basic qualifications for deacon, but that's not the only passage we can look at. We should also look at 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse, verses 8 through 13. We'll put that on the screen for you. And, and here Paul writes to Timothy, an elder in the church, a pastor, and he says, hey, when you're looking for deacons, here's what you should look for. So he writes to Timothy and says, Deacons likewise are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested. And then if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be the husband of but one wife must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Now, what I'm about to give you, as far as more questions we should ask of men who are, we're thinking should serve as deacons, is not, this is not an exhaustive list at all, but, but here again are some questions that, that we should think about. Things that as we consider who is ready to be a deacon here at Fellowship, these are some of the ideas and things that we should be asking them and talking about as leadership. Does he have a reputation for keeping his word? Does he speak truth and love? Does he demonstrate pastoral care and self-sacrifice when interacting with others in need? Is he honest in his financial dealings? What is his attitude toward wealth, and does he know the gospel message and have a solid understanding of the Bible? 
just a few more questions that we should be thinking about with this. Does his life and conscience conform to the faith he professes? Does he bring the truth of the gospel and the scripture to bear on his life and ministry? Is he a mature and growing Christian? Is he a one-woman one man? Is his wife trustworthy and respectable? Is he the spiritual leader of his home? These are all questions and things that we should be thinking about when we're talking about who should serve as deacons here at Fellowship. See, what I would love to get away with in my life, because I've watched this in church ministries prior to coming to Fellowship, I never want to ask the question, well, who can we get to fill a hole? Who can we get to serve as a deacon? Because we need so many deacons, and so we have to find so many men. No, that's not how we should go about that. We should look at who we have in the church who's ready to serve in these offices, who's qualified to serve according to the scriptures, and who has a passion to serve, and that's who we should elevate to that office. I want to wrap up just with this idea. I want to close with this thought. And again, we'll pick this up next week when we We'll pick it back up next week when we talk about elders and their calling and their role and qualifications. But I want to finish with this idea. Should you seek spiritual leadership? And again, I want to make this abundantly clear. You know, we here at Fellowship, we're what's called a complementarian church. And, and so what that means is when we go looking for elders and deacons, we believe that the scriptures teach that those roles, those offices within the church should be filled by men. But what I would really hate right now is for all of the ladies to tune out on me and, and to think, well, this doesn't apply to me. Because it absolutely does. When we're talking about spiritual leadership and, and should I seek to be a spiritual leader, here's the answer for every single one of us. If you would call yourself a Christ follower in this room, then the answer for every single one of us is yes. Should you seek to be a spiritual leader? Yes, absolutely. Because we need to understand what it means to be a spiritual leader. In one way or another, all of us are spiritual leaders. It, it matters, I guess, how we define spiritual leadership. And for that, I'm going to throw out a lifeline to uh, Pastor John Piper. And I love his quote here and how Pastor Piper defines spiritual leadership. He says, I define spiritual leadership as knowing where God wants people to be and taking the initiative to use God's methods to get them there in reliance on God's power. Every part of that is so important. Please don't miss anything he just said in that sentence. That's so huge. Spiritual leadership is knowing where God wants people to be, what God's plan for them is, and then taking the initiative, those of us who are engaging in spiritual leadership, taking the initiative to use God's methods to get them in reliance there on God's power. God's methods, God's power, so important. And then he kind of unpacks it even more when he says the answer to where God wants people to be is in a spiritual condition and in a lifestyle that display his glory and honor and honors his name. Therefore, the goal of spiritual leadership is that people come to know God and to glorify him in all that they do. Pastor Piper continues to write, he says, spiritual leadership is aimed not so much at 
directing people as it is at changing people. That's huge, church. Again, can we move past this idea of we have to have programs, and because we have programs, we have to fill in slots, right? We have to do this, this, and this. It's not about the programs. It's about the people. Amen? It's about the people in this room, and it's about the people that we've yet to reach with the gospel, to see all of us come into maturity in Christ. If a program helps us to get people somewhere, great. If it doesn't, let's just stop doing it and move on to something that does. Because the point is to help people to grow. Spiritual leadership is aimed not so much at directing people, but at changing people. If we would be the kind of leaders we ought to be, we must make it our aim to develop persons rather than dictate plans. You can get people to do what you want, but if they don't change in their hearts, you have not led them spiritually. That's huge too. You've not taken them to where God wants them to be. So here's what I hear Pastor Piper saying and what I would say to you today in closing is that God may call you to be an elder or deacon here. That's possible. Or he may not call you to an office of spiritual leadership, but please know this, you are exercising spiritual leadership whenever you are used by God to bring about the spiritual transformation, to bring about spiritual transformation in the life of someone else. And again, what does that look like? It can look any number of ways. It could be sharing faith with a friend and introducing them to Jesus for the first time. It can be talking to a child or to a grandchild, making sure that they get to church. That's spiritual leadership. Making sure that the Bible is spoken into their lives so that they can understand who God is and that God loves them and wants a relationship with them and wants to give them abundant life. That's spiritual leadership, church. It's praying for a coworker. It's contributing to a conversation in a Bible study. These are all ways in which we engage in spiritual leadership as Christ followers. You are exercising spiritual leadership anytime you roll up your sleeves and serve, anytime you serve other people. I've known so many Christ followers throughout my life that don't realize all the good they are doing for God. I, I mean, part of me, it makes me a little sad for them in a way. It's like, do you, do you understand how much you're helping your neighbor right now? Or how much your life is an encouragement to someone else? And, and I, I'm seeing people around this room, I'm looking at your shadows to me, but I can pretty much make you out. And I'm seeing people around this room who I know you're living lives of love and service. Do that as an act of worship. Live that way because you love Jesus and you want to serve Jesus and you want to improve the life of someone else. Amen? I mean, isn't that what this is all about? Isn't that what our lives should be all about? We serve, we exercise spiritual leadership in so many ways. I believe that God wants all of us to be involved with what he's doing in the world. I believe that he wants all of us to be spiritual leaders. I believe that he wants all of us to be ambitious for his glory.
So let me summarize. God calls each of us to ministry, but he does not call all of us to the same ministry. Let me have you say it one more time with, have you say it one more time with me. God calls each of us to ministry, but he does not call us all to the same ministry. Wonderful. In that sense, we're all deacons. We're all called to serve. But as a part of his plan for the administration of the church, for the governance of the church, God calls some to the office of deacon or to be a lead servant. And those men have three primary responsibilities to meet specific needs within the body, to enable the elders of the church to fulfill their responsibilities, and to bring unity to the church. Not everyone can serve as a deacon. The New Testament gives a very clear list of the qualifications. But even if you are not called to hold that office of deacon, you are called to spiritual leadership. My hope and my prayer is that you walk out of here today knowing that, that I am called to spiritual leadership. I am called to have a spiritual influence on other people because all of us should be available for God to use us to bring about transformation in the lives of others. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Worship team, come and join me up here and let's just take a, a few minutes and pray together and then we'll sing a song and worship close out our time together. Father God, as we think about these things together and, and as we think about what you're doing here at Fellowship right now, it's been such an exciting season of ministry in our church and in our family. And Lord, we're so thankful for calling us not only into relationship with you, but for calling us into relationship with each other. God, my prayer for everyone here today and everyone listening online, those who couldn't make it but they've joined us virtually or they'll listen to the service throughout the week, I, my prayer is that everyone who would call this church home, this is their home church, that they would understand that they are called to spiritual leadership. They're called to influence others towards righteousness. Like the book of Hebrews says in chapter 10, let us consider how we might encourage each other and all the more as we see that day approaching. Lord, we're all called to this. We're all called to be your hands in the lives of other people. But Lord, I also would pray today for our present deacons, those men that I just absolutely love in this body who are lead servants here and who model this for the rest of us. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen them, that you would encourage them. Today, thank you for their service to us. And God, I pray for others that are sitting here right now that would maybe even in this moment have a gentle pull on their heart from the Holy Spirit that they would consider serving in that way. Lord, my prayer is that as we bring what we do here at Fellowship 
in alignment with what your word teaches. Having elders and deacons as you have commanded us to do. God, I just pray, Lord, that you would go with us, that you would walk with us, that you would bless us, and, and that the very thing that we see at the end of the passage in Acts chapter 6, that because of that, the church exploded. Because of the willingness to be obedient to the scriptures, the church grew. There's a great harvest that comes next. Lord, that's my prayer for fellowship. Not because we care about numbers or having a big church, but because we want to see more people know who you are, Jesus. We want to see more people come into your presence and to know the love of God in their lives. To embrace the gospel, to trust in you alone for their salvation. That they might come into living an abundant life and, and to walk with you and to have their eternity secured. To be sealed with the Holy Spirit for the life to come. That's our desire as a church, Lord. God, would you lead us? Help us. Help us to be patient. Help us to walk slowly when needed. But Lord, help us to follow you closely. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.